We strive. I'm confident and I have faith in my resourcefulness. Resourcefulness. We're just taking an existing process, making it easier, mm -hmm. and I think our customers love us for that. Customers love us for that. All right, that's a little sick intro. I had my fun, but let's get to it. We Strive Podcast, Season 2. We interview badass entrepreneurs. They have had exits. They're killing the game. Here are their stories. Let's get it. So this week we have Sam Lilly, and I actually had to do some rescheduling this week, so I did not even have a podcast for today. And I was stressed out. My buddy Farhaj was like, yo, I have this buddy of mine who hiked from... Mexico to Canada and then he created this amazing neighbor farm sharing thing and then he did this and this and this and then he was sleeping in yards and now he raised half a million and I was just like I have to interview this guy so thank you Farhaj for the clutch interview we have Sam Lilly this week this guy I mean I kind of already summarized it but I mean he, he uh, one of the best hustlers I have ever seen some of the stuff he says in this interview I I've always thought of myself as a hustler and I don't think I would do half the stuff he's done so um, not only is it getting me to push myself a little harder just from when I recorded this but it's also making me realize that I am definitely I don't even know if I'll be able to ever live up to the stuff that he's done I mean it's it's crazy so if you want to hear someone truly hustle truly be an entrepreneur this is what the We Strive podcast is all about. My guy, Sam Lilly. Cool. My name is Sam Lilly. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Vendor. And Vendor is an online neighbor-made farmer's market that connects home gardeners, farmers, bakers, and ranchers with their neighbors to buy and sell local food. You can kind of think about it like a Etsy, but on for hyper-local food. That's so cool, man. And honestly, like... I have the hardest time coming up with a uh, like a, a catchphrase or a slogan for my company to describe what we do in like six words. And the fact that you say a neighbor made, I, I, like that's genius because that's literally what you're doing. And neighbor made makes it sound completely different than every other market out there. Um, so that you've definitely nailed that slogan from the get go. So how did you start this? I, I kind of know a little bit about it, but our buddy Farhaj connected us um, and he was telling me some crazy story involving your bike. And I just want to know like how you created this. I want to hear the whole story. So let's get going. Yeah. So I started this on my bicycle in 2016. I was in a small town called Port Townsend, Washington, which is, Oh, you're from Washington. Uh, I'm originally from California. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'm from Washington, so sorry, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, so, well, to give you some backstory on that, I grew up in San Diego. I went to San Jose State University and got a degree in business. Just a, I studied international business, but then switched to general because it got me out faster. Um, and then after college, I hiked from Mexico to Canada on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is 2,658.8 miles. Um I solo hiked it, and it took roughly five months, about 152 days. And when I finished, I ended up, I was in Canada. My mom was up in Port Townsend, which is a small town in Washington on the Olympic Peninsula. It's 10,000 people where the average age is 57. 
And I needed to kind of mentally readjust back into society from being out in the woods for five months and moved over into my mom's basement and got a job down at a local gym and just, you know, working the desk and greeting people and ended up going to a um, town hall meeting where I learned that the biggest issue in the town was access to local produce. And they've got a farmer's market that's two days a week, but it's Wednesdays from 12 to 4 and Saturdays from 8 to 1. And if you're working two jobs like many people do in that town, then you don't always have time to get down to the farmer's market. And so people would go to the Safeway. You know, it's like a Vons or HEB, you know, large grocery store because it's cheap, it's convenient, it's open 24 hours. Except the downside is, is None of the stuff you're getting there is local. It's not from within like a 20 mile radius. And you don't know who's growing the food. You don't know what's going into the food. Um, and if you ask one of your local produce managers, and I challenge anyone listening the, to this to who do, is go to the local supermarket, ask your produce manager where your products, where your tomatoes, where your avocados have come from, your apples. And I can almost guarantee you they're not going to know. They may know the country of origin or the distributor that sent it to them, but they don't know the farm. They won't know the farmer or what is actually going into the soil to produce the food that you're consuming, which is then going into you. And so I walked home from this town hall meeting after learning about this problem that the town had and saw that my neighbor had a big apple tree. And it was full of fruit and a bunch of fruit on the ground that was just kind of rotting and getting eaten by deer. And I thought, you know, they they seem to have a surplus. You know, why can't we just buy from our neighbors? It seemed logical to me. It's something we used to do 80 years ago. And so I just walked up. Thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. It's not even yeah, thousands of years ago to 80 yeah, the, the style of, argue, of agriculture and distribution that we have now is really from 1930s onward. Yeah, so I knocked on his door. I saw this guy with the apple tree, and I knocked on his door, and he answered, and I just said, Hi, you know, my name's Sam. I happen to be walking by and notice you have an apple tree. You ever thought about selling your apples? And the guy was like, the hell are you doing in my yard? You know, and I was like, oh, shit, you know, all right, well, look, I've got this idea. If I can get someone to buy your apples, I work down at the local gym. Would you be willing to sell them? And he goes, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, he's like, I can't eat them all. And they just fall and rot. I was like, cool. And so the next day, I was standing behind the desk of the gym and just asked every single person that walked by that front desk, hey, would you like some apples? Until somebody said yes. And then I showed back up at my neighbor's house and knocked on the door and handed him some cash. And said, I got someone to buy you, buy your apples. And he said, great, you know, climb in the tree and go get them, which was a bit of a pain. But, you know. Wait, oh, so you didn't even have the apples? You were asking people if they in general would just want to buy apples? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have the apples at the time. You didn't have, that's, okay. I thought you had like a, like a Costco rack of apples in front of you. So you had no apples. You're just saying, hey, do you want to buy apples? Yeah, that's, that's it. I had, yeah. Wait, so what was like, like for a dollar, like you're just like, hey, if 
if you if I had an Apple, would you buy it? Like like I don't even I'm so like just perplexed on how this this concept worked. Man, it, that's all it was was hey, would you like some apples? And they said sure. And I said well, okay, have like a couple pounds. And they went yeah, all right. And then I showed up and I gave them a price. It was uh, six bucks for I think it was like three pounds of apples. And uh, <coughs> showed up the guy's house and picked the apples and I had a small scale like a kitchen scale and I weighed out three pounds of apples and then I gave the guy five dollars and I kept a dollar and that was our business model 20% is what we would take but we wouldn't um, yeah we don't charge the the seller so it was you know five bucks for the seller a dollar from us and that was paid for by the consumer and so then I just took these apples and the next day brought them down to the gym and gave them to the person and that was the start. And then for three months, right after that, I thought, okay, cool. Like there's this possibility of, that this idea might work. You know, there was a transaction. And so for three months, I just knocked on my neighbor's doors every single day, six to eight hours a day. Hey, you know, do you garden? Oh, you do? Great. Do you have anything you'd like to sell? Would you be interested in selling anything? This is what I'm doing. And over a three-month period, I delivered about 300 pounds of produce between my neighbors just from backyard gardens and delivered it all on my bicycle. I didn't have a car at the time. Um, I didn't really have any money. I started Bender for $18.58 and a bicycle. And so if there's anyone that out there that thinks that it takes a lot of money to start a company, it does not. Um, it just takes a lot of effort. And I ended up using... Google Maps to get a kind of a bird's eye view of the neighborhoods and look into people's backyards and use geometric patterns to sift out uh, gardens, backyard gardens. And then I would just walk up to those houses and it would save me probably half a day of work. And Wait, so you would use Google Maps to zoom in and out of, to see like, like how easy was it to see that there was a garden there? Was it pretty obvious or like do you have to kind of like guess and check? Um, it would end up looking kind of obvious there for the most part there are a lot of people if you're a home gardener you're using raised beds and so you have these long rectangular shapes all in rows and so if you can see those then you're solid sometimes they're in an l shape um but you know you just click on it on google maps and it gives you the address and so i just would walk up and then just knock on the door and say hey do you garden already knowing that they do and uh you know, pitch this idea to them. How, how outdated are those Google Maps images? Like, did you ever walk up and it was like, yeah, maybe like four years ago we did. but not Yeah, they're long. usually about a year old. Gotcha, okay. Did you ever have anyone where you knew for a fact they guarded and they said no? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and you just keep going. You're like, actually, I know for, I, I can prove that you garden. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to get that creepy on them right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so you start off and... So was it kind of like, well, hey, I sold this guy's apples. I can sell your it's, – it's kind of like that story where the guy started off with a paperclip and he traded until he owned a house kind of a thing. I mean that, that's, such a, that's such a cool like starting from literally nothing and then building up. Literally starting on the streets. That was it. Walking the streets, knocking on the doors, doing it day in, day out. I used Post-it notes. I took off all the wall – the uh, art on my in my mom's basement and on the walls and put up post-it notes. And so I had all these columns of post-it notes from 
you know, who was the buyer, who was the seller, what was the order, how much they wanted, um, when, when the delivery was, what day, how much it would cost, the whole thing. And I would bike out to, you know, people, I ended up getting a Wix website. So when I started Vendor, it was me on a bicycle. Um, and then I spent $12 on a domain name, which was veggievendor.com and uh, a $6.58 Wix website. And so people would put in, I would type up every week. I'd make all these phone calls and emails to these neighbors of mine that said they'd be willing to sell. And I would ask what they had available and I would type it up on this Wix website. And then people would go online, which was just people at this gym that I was talking to or anyone I could really talk to. And they would submit this form that was just a checkbox next to the items they wanted. And then in a little description box, they would type out the quantities they wanted. And at the time, I had no idea what quantities my neighbors had, you know, and so I was just accepting these orders. Um, payments were all cash. I would just carry around a giant deposit envelope, bank deposit envelope, and I'd be breaking change, you know, right there. And when I'd have these orders come in, I would, you know, the order would come in and I'd immediately phone or email all these local sellers and then ride out with my bike and pay them in cash. I'd pay them all first and I'd come back and I'd put it in a box and then I'd deliver it uh, to the end user. And I, I would probably spend a few hours kind of collecting and aggregating and delivering and doing all that. It would probably take me, uh, I think it was like a half day to three quarters of a day and I would make, I don't know, like a dollar sixty or something a dollar after all, all that work yeah you know it's uh or maybe not a dollar sixty average order at the time was about 16 bucks and so we'd make three dollars on every order but it still wasn't much you know i'd spend half a day and i'd probably deliver two or three boxes and so i'd make you know nine dollars over you know an eight hour period but what it did, it validated the idea. That, that's all I was looking for, validation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have like 50 questions that I'm trying not to forget. Um, so was this a lot of like, I have apples, my neighbor has carrots, kind of selling the apples to the carrot guy, carrot guy to the apples? Is it a lot of that? Or was it a lot of like, this person has apples, uh, oranges, they've got carrots and whatever else grows in the ground like tomatoes or something like that and then one person goes i want all of that actually and then you're selling to them like how did how did the marketplace begin because i know now it's more of like very customizable you can kind of get what you want but in the beginning i mean it sounds like it was kind of hard to i mean obviously it was kind of hard with with no budget to just build this website so how were you getting the customers and like how were they like how did the whole yeah and so it was actually direct to consumer from the get-go um, it was, Hey, here's, you know, from day one of, Hey, I got this guy who's got apples. Do you want to buy some, you know, to one person to, Hey, check this out. I have all a list of all these products and then you just choose the product you want and it'll be delivered to your house. And it's all grown by your neighbors. And there were no farms, there were no bakers, there were no ranches. It was purely backyard home gardeners. Um, and then I would just aggregate and deliver to the the customer buyer. Um, that's that's so cool, man. That's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the the way I got the word out was just talking to people. 
at the gym. I was just at the gym standing behind the desk, everyone that came by. And eventually people, you know, started understanding this is what I was trying to do. And I was putting up flyers and, and all of that. Did the gym care at all or? No, they were very supportive actually. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes the gyms can be very like, uh, they don't want you doing anything but the gym. So that's very cool. They were supportive. I got um, very, very lucky. It was a mom and pop, mom and pop, you know, uh, brick and mortar kind of uh, gym. And the owner, it's the Port Townsend Athletic Club. And the owner just said, look, I understand, you know, you've got this thing going on, you know, but the our members come first. So if you can get when you get here, if you can get everything taken care of and all the customers are, you know, all our members are cool, then you can do pretty much whatever you want. And so when I would work at the gym, you know, I'd work on vendor, but I would always make sure that their their members came first and I had a stellar reputation there. And, you know, there's there was no frustration or um, any kind of trouble that was accrued because of this. They were actually extremely, extremely supportive. That's very cool, man. Um, and in the beginning, how many hours were you putting in like a day? Um. Let's see. I was only working part time at this gym. It was the only job I had, uh, so I probably put in six hours a day or something. Eight. That's so awesome. Um, okay, so scenario in the for, scenario for the beginning. So my dad has a lot of apricots. Like I would never call him a gardener if my dad's listening. No offense, um, but I mean, so he has apricots or apricots, however you want to say that. What does he do? Like from right now let's say it's a month into you just launched this uh, this platform and you're in Port Townsend. My dad's in Port Townsend for some reason. He has apricots. What does he do? And this is, you know, back in 2016 or now? Yeah, but we'll do back then, then we'll do now. Yeah, in 2016, uh, we would have, your dad and I would have had a meet at some point. Uh, and then he would have just told me that he'd have apricots and I would list them. And then, if, and then I would just tell people at the gym, and uh, if anyone wanted them, I would then give him a phone call and then say, hey, I got someone who wants a couple pounds of apricots. Do you have that? And he would say, sure. And I said, okay, I'll come by tomorrow and pick them up. And this is how much you know they're being sold for. And I would show up with cash on my bicycle. And then he would give me a bag of apricots. And I'd bike home with them and put them into a box and then you know, and aggregate from other people and deliver the box. That's so crazy, man. So was it, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get past the very beginning here in a sec. I have, just have a lot of questions. Uh, so was it one person at a time? So you're at the gym going like, buy these apricots, buy these apricots, or was it like you had the apple guy still on retainer, there was apricot guy, there was carrots, like were you, or were you just facilitating one at a time just to kind of like slowly make sure you prove your model? Oh no, I just went full in and went hard in the paint, you know, or I guess hard in the dirt. Um, and I was just getting it from a bunch of different people. I'd say, Hey, I got a bunch of veggies. I got apricots. I got apples. I got tomatoes. I got, you know, kale. I got carrots. I got onions. What do you want? And they put together a list. And then from that list, I would call all those different sellers and then go to each one of those sellers and pick up, you know, and then make one delivery to the end user. That's so cool, man. I mean, I can't imagine being a gardener in a small town. All of a sudden I'm making like, you know, 10, 20 bucks 
maybe a week or a month or whatever, just on the fruit that's grown in my garden naturally anyways. That was it. It was uh, that they had this and they didn't realize that they can be pulling money from it. You know, we had a couple of them when I was on my bicycle, we had a couple of them making a few hundred bucks. That's so cool. And it's also cool, man, for the environment too, because like that's all that stuff's getting wasted anyway. So, I mean, you're really helping like, you know, not waste food. Um, yeah, and creating like a market for that. So that's that's really absolutely. Cool. Plus, the amendments that are going into the the soil, you know, is is like a home compost. It's it's a mushroom fertilizer. It's um, gypsum. It's all things that are extremely natural and healthy for products and plants and soil, uh, which makes the quality of the product you get just exponentially better than what you would get at your local grocery store. Of which is um, if they're non organic even if some of them that are technically considered organic, uh, they've got a lot of sprays and additives on them and they're pretty old by the time you get them from the grocery store. I know lettuce can be up to two weeks old, which is why it lasts like three days when you get it, you know, from the grocery store, uh, apples can be up to a year old. And so when you're getting them, um, on a mass scale, there's almost no nutrients. The flavors are pretty much non-existent. Uh, and the, you know, what's going into your body is what is, you know, went into the product itself. And so when you get them from your neighbors, the crazy thing was they're beyond organic. These things were crazy, crazy clean. But you would also get them the day that they were cut off the vine. And in some instances, like 15 minutes before, after they were cut off the vine. And so they're the, it's the freshest, most local, most organic produce that you could get on earth. That's so awesome. Um, do you have any liability like with, you know, there's some obviously to some random person making these fruit fruits and veggies. Like, is there any liability like that they could, you know, poison them or like they're they're using the wrong sort of like um, I don't even I don't know anything about gardening. So like I don't I don't want to say a really stupid word sound like an idiot, but like. They're using the wrong chemicals or pesticides or whatever. I mean, is there any liability with that? Yeah, liability for us is uh, on the consumer when they're making their order. Um, they accept all responsibility and liability when they sign up through vendor. Um, but the farmers, it actually selling raw, unprocessed fruits and vegetables falls under cottage industry law, which is allowed in every, it's all 50 states. And so they, you can actually sell direct to your consumer. And if you go to the local farmer's market, a lot of times some of those sellers are, they fall into cottage law and they're home, home sellers. Uh, and you can get insurance. Uh, it's called flip insurance. It's like 300 bucks a year and you can get 2 million in coverage. Um, yeah, I guess you're totally right. Like every farmer's market is pretty much the same thing as far as like, I mean, not the same thing, but like it has a lot of local farmers. So as far as liability goes, it's not like you're reinventing the wheel. No, and you also got to think of like, when was the last time you had a salmonella outbreak at your local farmer's market? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, you don't. You know, what you get the salmonella outbreak in is in your grocery stores. You know, the large scale monocropped, mono you know, romaine that's touched by 20 to, 20 to 30 different people by the time it touches your plate. Where if you go from someone who's local, you actually know the person who's grew it, who's growing it. They can tell you all about it and, you know, it's right there. It's touched maybe one or two hands before it gets to yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so let, let's move on from the beginning because I, I have, I could keep doing this all day. Um, 
So you're on your bike, okay? You're riding around. You're you're taking apples to here. Like, what at what point did you decide to scale, and what does scale mean to you at that point? Yeah. So then winter came, and I was in the Pacific Northwest, and so when winter came, everything just dies off. It goes pretty dormant at that time, and you know, I also didn't know that my background is not agriculture, nor is it tech. You know, so it's just kind of like I had to learn all this stuff on the fly. And you're not like me. You didn't grow up in Washington. I could have told you that. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, no, I grew up in San Diego. It's a 12, you know, full year long sales uh, and growing seasons. Um, and just to touch on this, like my background, my dad's a firefighter or was a firefighter. and My mom was a teacher. Uh, we didn't come. I don't come from an entrepreneurial family at all. Or any, you know, I don't have a rich uncle, any kind of those connections. I didn't start with them. Um, and so when we got into the winter, it was like, all right, well, how do we or how do I kind of grow this thing? And I was biking probably 50 miles a week. And um, it was just a ton of work. And so I thought, OK, but there's some validation of doing it manually. Let's take a step back. And I thought of, you know, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and, just, you know, startups and things on Airbnb. And so I thought, okay, let's create an online marketplace. And at the time when I was making all these deliveries, I was meeting all my neighbors, all these local producers, right? These home gardeners. And they'd give me tours of their garden. And then I would talk to them about what goes into the soil, you know, and, and all of that. And I'd write it down in a notebook. And then I'd go home and I'd type it up on a Word doc. And I'd print it out and put it into a manila folder and I would hand that over with the, the box. So in the box of produce, you would get a list of all your farmers, all your local neighbors that produce the foods that you're going to eat. And it had a whole profile and what they grew and how they grew it and what goes into the soil. And I kind of took that whole concept and just said, OK, let's do this online. You know, let's do online profiles and an online marketplace. And. Uh, my first customer, one of my first customers, his name is Mark, Mark Desjardins, and he had a web and mobile development company that he was running for like 20 years. He was a member at the gym. That's how I met him. And I asked him to coffee and I asked him to become an advisor of mine because um, he was getting boxes. He's got a wife and four kids and he was getting boxes of veggies from me on my bicycle from the neighbors. And the kids would actually like shout and scream when I'd show up because they were excited to have these local uh, local foods and the flavors just blew their mind. And so when we started, when I wanted to start building a website, I asked Mark to become an advisor and kind of help guide me through that process. Um, I designed out the website. I had no design background. I just looked at a bunch of websites I liked and then, you know, took ideas and taught myself Photoshop and then hired a guy. I took about 80% of my paychecks from the gym and then hired a developer, a freelancer to design out or develop our website. And that was developed over the winter. And I actually didn't have the money at the time that we had agreed on but um, to develop this. But then we had milestones in place and payments were based on milestones. So I had time you know, to make as much money as I could and, and make that milestone payment one, one milestone at a time. And, um, you know, he had no idea I didn't have the money at the time and never found out because I made every payment. 
uh, and then had the website was then developed and we launched it the following year and into the town just to see said you know it was like okay here's this thing that i did on a bicycle let's see if it works online and people started signing up you know people in the town started creating their own profile posting their own produce taking photos of it and putting it on their product uh putting in descriptions creating their own prices and i thought look i don't like i can't bike everywhere so what if you guys did the delivery you know, like they were allowing me, some random stranger, to show up at their house and pay them and pick up product. Why wouldn't they let the buyer show up, you know, and pick up the products just direct? And I was also doing delivery, and some of them wouldn't, some of the sellers wouldn't want me to come over to their home they just for privacy issues, but they were willing to drop it off at my house or, at, you know, the basement and, uh, or my mom's house. And I thought, well, if they're willing to do that, why wouldn't they drop it off at the house of the person who's buying it? And so I set that up on the website. Uh, the buyer can either go over and pick up the order themselves from the buyer, from, or sorry, from the seller, and meet their local neighbor and see the garden in which their food was being grown and get their hands in the soil and have that experience that I had connecting with my neighbors, which for me, bonded me even closer with my own community. And I thought that was really cool. But they can also have the order delivered to them by the seller for a delivery fee that's set by the seller. And so we had this, I had this website built. We started gaining some traction. There were sales going through the website. And I thought, all right, you know, let's see if this thing's got any legs. And I took it down to the Silicon Valley business competition and we took first place. And that gave us a $10,000 grant. And I thought, holy shit, you know, this is all right. You know, small, small town startup in a rural town just swept the Silicon Valley business competition. That's awesome. And uh, use that to get local press. We got on the front page of the local paper. Uh, and that started building more and more traction and awareness of our website. Um, and we did that. And then we were making iterations of the website and learning about feedback and and how customers and users are going through it the whole user experience ux which i had no clue about i mean i was <laughs> i would call some of the local um buyers and sellers and i'd have them come over to my mom's house and i'd pay them in beer to run through the the website and give me feedback and i would run them through scenarios and have them talk out loud and I learned this just by like reading articles and talking to people. Um, and that allowed me to figure out where the pain points are, where people are frustrated, what's their emotional state as they're running through the flow, the website flow. Um, because if they're in a, in a frustrated state, then there's something wrong with that area. They're not sure where to go. They're confused. And so how do we streamline that? Um, and so then we were in the website. And then, um, and it started gaining uh, uh, awareness. You know, the, the newspaper started picking it up. There's the Port Townsend Leader and then uh, the Peninsula Daily News, which is on the Washington State Peninsula. And then the Seattle Times heard about us and they ran an article. And then two local news stations from Seattle drove out and did, you know, whole news stories on us. And in about four months, we 
had users register in 90 cities and 19 states all organically because I was still working behind the desk at this gym, welcoming people and teaching classes and kind of freaking out because I had no idea what to do when we'd have this much kind of like growth right away. Wait, so you said how many cities were you in? In four months, we got into 90 cities and 19 states. That's insane. So a couple of things. One, we have like the ex- after like the post post bike part when you started to get to the website. We have like the exact same story. Um, I was in the same boat. I had I, I built a website. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what UX UI was. I didn't know what wireframes were. I just started doing it, and I was like, okay, okay. And then the same thing, I hired some random developers to build my website for me. Did not have the money either. Uh, <laughs> I was working at, I think, I, I was working at Rite Aid as a um, assistant manager and pretty much my entire paycheck was just going to it. Yep. Um, so I, yeah, so exact same boat. Um, Steep learning curve, right? Exactly, man. Yeah, it's, it's for, I mean, my designs now, I love, I love showing comparisons because it looks like. It's just like the grossest thing on the planet before, and now they're, they're absolutely beautiful. So um, it, it's definitely a, definitely a long journey, but that, that's so cool that um, that's where you guys kind of started from too. Um, so you're in all these cities, and I mean, kind of same thing. I mean, we've got like 400 trainers on our platform, and on the weekends, I still wait tables. So I mean, it's you know, it's it's the it's the hustle, it's the grind. So I mean, how many so how many cities are you guys in nowadays um and and how do you guys get more and more gardeners yeah so we're we're in a we're all over the nation now um but our primary focus is in austin texas because when when you expand and you start scaling out like that or growing like that um you run into a lot of problems especially when you're with us you're working on such a hyper local level and so if you have if you get into like what we saw was when we got into 90 cities and 19 states, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, we'd have growers in cities that didn't have any buyers or we'd have buyers in cities that didn't have any growers and that became dead users. So it's a good problem to have and we needed to see that and I needed to learn it. But our main focus now is just Austin, Texas. See, that's a, I'm glad you said that, man, because actually there's a lot of different industries that have that problem. For example, like, this isn't what our app does, but it's a potential thing that we've always wanted to do. Um, so in the personal training field, there is the quote unquote Uber of personal training where trainers come to you, but similar to the model you just suggest or the situation you just suggested, you have to make sure that the trainers don't get bored and the exercisers don't get bored. Um, so, you know, when you have your app, it's like, okay, well, a gardener can have all the fruit in the world, but if no one's buying it, he's going to delete it and then vice versa. If you can't buy any fruit, why would you have this app? So it is a very hard market, similar to, you know, I mean, I said Uber model, but similar to Uber themselves. I mean, I can't imagine what a headache they had starting off with all these people driving around wanting to drive someone in cars. And if no one's using the app, they're going to delete the app completely and never drive again. So um, that the Uber model itself sounds like a headache from the get go, but obviously they were able to execute. It's it's really difficult to do a marketplace. But if you can do it right, then it, it becomes extremely strong and hard to uh, overtake. If, you, if you've got competitors, it, it builds a strong moat. From your standpoint, man, I, I mean, I see a lot of potential for sure. So let's take the apricot scenario again. Um, I think I keep saying apricot and apricot. I keep rotating. But 
So let's take my dad again. So what does my dad do now? So before he would have to go to you in the first place, what does he do nowadays to get on the platform and to sell? Now your dad just downloads the app on either his iPhone or his Android. It's free. Uh, and he registers as a seller. And he types in, you know, like um, what kind of growing methods he uses, what kind of amendments, um, what his space looks like, whether he's in raised beds or he's hydroponic, aquaponic, aeroponic. Uh, home compost, you know, mushroom compost, that type of deal. Uh, and then once he registers as a seller, it takes 60 seconds. Uh, then he just presses the plus button that says post and snaps a photo of his apricots, puts in the name, puts in the price and the quantity he has and clicks post. And then his item is then listed on the store and a pin drops in his area and anyone can see it. Um, and so let's, so yeah, your dad's got apricots, he registers with a vendor, posts the products, chooses the prices he wants, and then you've got a buyer like myself would go on the vendor app, see that there's apricots, add them to my cart, and check out. And then the payments are just direct deposited into the seller's account in 48 hours, and they would know whether it's a pickup or a delivery. Very cool. And do, side note, do you actually buy from, from vendor? Like, Do you do that yourself, or do you have enough plethora of uh, fruits and vegetables from all the deliveries that you've done in the past. <laughs> no, I buy every week. Uh, yeah. And I, I know, you know, I buy from every farmer, every rancher, you know, every baker. I know every seller in our community. I have met them and I continue to order every week. That's how I get my groceries. And I find that I get the most unique products. You can't get a grocery stores and the flavors are crazy. Uh, the prices are pretty much, their prices are actually cheaper than what you'd find at your local Whole, uh, Whole Foods. And so you're getting a higher quality at a lower cost. Um, and you know that the money that you're actually spending is going to someone within your community. Um, so where are you guys at with the current app? I, I, I think it said beta when it popped up, but I, I mean, I, I saw like, I accidentally hit okay really quick before reading it, but I thought I saw the word beta. Is that, am I wrong right there? Yeah. So. So what happened is when we launched this website and we got all this traffic and we started gaining traction and winning these competitions, everything was pointing to mobile apps, right? Um, farmers want, farmers don't have a lot of time inside. A lot of times they're in the field or they're at a farmer's market and they're trying to sell. And so what they wanted was a system that they could just have on their phone, be in the field, you know, post products and accept orders right from the field. And so gaining that kind of feedback, we thought, all right, well, from a website, now it's time to move to mobile apps. And I thought, well, I know that's going to take a lot of money. And so I know I need to raise capital, but I had no idea how to raise capital. And so I went, I was um, outside Seattle. When I mean outside Seattle, I was a 40 minute ferry ride and then an hour and 20 minute car drive. And at the time I didn't have a car. And so I would take two buses, a ferry, and then two more buses to get to Seattle for a one-hour class on how to raise capital. And then I would take it back, you know, and that would be a, I would leave at probably three thirty in the morning to get there for a nine o'clock, you know, class, and I'd come back. Um, and I started learning how to raise capital. And the first, I you know registered as an S corporation originally. I had to dissolve that because then I learned that you can't sell stock in an S corporation, uh, reincorporated as a C corp. 
and tried raising capital and started raising capital. And the first checks that actually came in were from members at the gym that saw me behind the desk for two years banging away at this thing. And I mean, I would, I would ask for feedback. I'd do these comp, these pitch competitions and I'd say, Hey, can you give me, I'd stand behind the desk and someone would walk by and I'd say, Hey, do you have 30 seconds to give me some feedback on this pitch I'm competing in for this business? And they'd go, yeah, sure. I got 30 seconds. And then I'd go into a 10 minute pitch. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, at that time they were kind of hooked. Uh, but it allowed me to gain a lot of feedback. And so the members at the gym saw me build this for two years and just push and push and push. And so the first few investors we got were members of the gym. And that just blew me away. That's so cool, man. And then after that, it was, you know, how do I find angel investors? What the fuck is an angel investor? Um, how, you know, and how do I find them? How do I contact them? Do I ask for money right away? How do I ask for money? How do you build that relationship? What the heck is a pitch deck? Um, then all of that. And we ended up um, raising more capital uh, with the same round. It's just uh, through a convertible note and um, got accepted to, let's see, we won the Silicon Valley business competition and then went to South by South by Southwest in Austin. And we placed top 15 in the world for agricultural supply chain innovation, beating out 600 companies from about 19 countries. Yeah, and that gave us some more credibility. And then we applied to the Mass Challenge Accelerator, which is one of the top 15 in the world, according to Entrepreneur Magazine. And then with that, it was like, oh, holy shit, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And we had raised some capital and I looked at Mark, who was my advisor, my first customer when I was on bicycle. And I said, hey, man, I want you to be my co-founder. Would you be willing to join me full time? And he said, you know, my immediate answer is yes, but I got to ask my wife. And, and then asked his wife, wife gave the OK. And he ended up um, shutting down his company, selling his company and joining me full time. And then we I bought a van. And we packed up the van and drove three days straight to Austin, Texas. And we didn't even have a place to live at the time. And we were sleeping on the side of the road on the way and got here and slept in people's front yards uh, for the first two nights. And this guy had a wife back home this whole time? He had a wife and four kids. That's that's crazy, man. I had, he still has. Still has them. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Oh, sorry, keep going with the, with the story. Sorry. No, it's crazy. It is seriously, it, it blows my mind. And then we didn't have a place to live. And so we would um, leave the WeWork for this, you know, the accelerator had us in a WeWork and we would leave the WeWork late at night at like nine or 10 o'clock and then um, cruise around for a little bit and then find someone's like yard uh, and then sleep on their front lawn for a few hours and then pop up in the morning before they get up and we'd leave. And we did that for two nights. Until, you know, someone was like, hey, we got an extra room. You guys can just stay there. You would just find someone's yard? Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. And uh, we did that. And then that's, you know, I met Farhaj through the accelerator. We ended up um, getting a place with him and a couple other companies that were going through this. So it made rent like 500 bucks a month, super cheap. And uh, we began building out mobile apps. And then that whole process of what it's like to build out mobile apps and 
try to hire an internal team, continue raising money um, from angels and, and whomever. And then we launched the equity crowdfunding campaign through WeFunder. And I know that you've got a campaign coming up soon through them, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to talk to you about that. I actually totally forgot about that until you just mentioned it. But yeah, I mean, I didn't forget that I was doing it, but I forgot forgot that uh, you uh, you did that too. Yeah, it uh, actually was a great experience for us because it turned us into what I believe is the first high-tech food co-op. We are a user-owned and operated company now. That's so cool, man. And, and yeah, you guys raised about 150K. That's awesome. Yeah, we raised in total about 170000 and then um, it came down, I think, to around a little over 150, which is typical. There's usually a little gap once once you close out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but like that, that was a whole nother experience. And, you know, that was when you run an equity crowdfunding campaign, all channels are open. You can go on news and talk about it. Television, newspapers, podcasts, whatever, any channel you can promote, which is awesome. And that's all I did. I just straight up talked to anyone I could, you know, sold it to people in the Starbucks line. Um, I, you know, those uh, Greenpeace people that, you know, stand on the corner and try to get you to sign up for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I flipped them for a hundred bucks and I had them put in their stuff right on my phone. That's so cool. I mean, I stood next to a freeway and sold stocks and shares to people in their cars. Whatever it took to raise the capital, I did. And around this time, our lease for the place ended up ending and I didn't have a place to live. And so, and I mean, I wasn't really taking much for a paycheck, less than $1,000 a month. And uh, ended up moving into my van in a Walmart parking lot for about four months. And then just lived in this Walmart parking lot under a freeway. And while I was doing that, I got a um, membership at a gym where I was able to shower. And then while I was doing that, was raising money. Just whatever it took, whomever I could talk to in any fashion and just selling. And we ended up raising our round. And, um, so it was almost about half a mil. Dude, that is... So, oh, you, oh, you raised like... Oh, outside of WeFunder too. Oh yeah, dude, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I've never, I've honestly never heard a more hustler story in my life. It, you know, you do what you got to do, and then you you raise the capital, and I was able to move out of the van, which was great <laughs> because all my stuff was in the van. So I would sleep next to like a bicycle into all these boxes and all of that. It was it was not not the most comfortable, but and I I guess. Someone the other day told me I was homeless for that time period. But the funny thing is, is I didn't, I didn't think of that, you know, as I didn't consider myself homeless. Um, I thought about it just as this is just part of the journey. This is only a small part and I just got to do what I got to do. And I know that this is eventually going to, you know, living in my van is going to come to an end. So yeah, I just didn't consider myself homeless at the time, but now, you know, I live in, I've got an apartment, um, and yeah, we were able to keep it rocking, you know. That's so cool, man. Wait, so how many people? How many people are on the team right now? Ten. There's, oh, there's ten. Are you guys all salary right now? Um, no, some of them are hourly. Okay, gotcha. 
So what is it like going from the guy on a bike to being a CEO of a company that just raised, you know, half a million? Doesn't feel any different. Still the same guy. <laughs> true, true. There we go. I mean, I, I think about it. I mean, our if you go to our office, you'd see photos of all of our users. We call it the wall of neighbors. And it's team members that we've got and myself and we've got, we go out, we meet our farmers, we meet our ranchers, we take photos with them. We get, you know, tours of um, bee apiaries and bee farms and honey farms. And uh, uh, we get to learn about cattle and we learn about different types of crops or we learn about baking. And once a week, I actually take the team to a local seller and we help them out for half a day, whether that's building greenhouses or planting or weeding or harvesting, whatever it is. And so we keep this connection and never forget where we came from. And when you walk into the office, uh, it's actually, when you look at the wall of neighbors on the left, it's actually a story. And it takes you from when I was on bicycle and it takes you through the journey. So by the time you end up in the middle of the office, you are where we are now. And you're surrounded by our users and you know how we got here. And we have a huge emphasis on culture and who we are and what we mean to the community and what the community means to us. And at Vendor, we have three core values. The first one is transparency and communication. We don't try to hide anything. You know, we, we're very open with how much we charge. It's 20% to the buyer upon checkout. You know, for the sellers, they talk about all that goes into their, their growing methods. And so for a buyer, the whole growing and, and what goes into your food, it's whole, all of that's transparent. And that's how there's progress made internally as well as you know if there's a problem don't hide it just tell us we don't get upset about it we just got to know how to address it how to overcome what how do we need to maneuver forward you know and if you don't talk about it problems typically tend to uh, fester and then blow up and that's never a good thing so transparency in, in communications core value number one core value number two is be a good neighbor we started with neighbors help out the community and that's why once a week we go out to farms, ranches, and, and bakeries or home gardens and help them out. And then the third one uh, is don't be an eggplant, which essentially is treat people with respect and don't be a dick. Yeah, the don't be a dick one is one I, one I embrace myself too, or at least try to. You know, I can be a dick sometimes. Yeah, and we got a lot of that actually from Zappos. We went, my co-founder and I uh, went to Zappos headquarters out in Las Vegas and got a tour of the headquarters and then got one-on-one -on -one meetings with their department heads for two hours and learned all about how they built company culture, how they train, how they hire. And then we took what we learned and started implementing it in Vendor. That's actually so crazy because when I, when you started talking about your story, I immediately thought of how Zappos was started and it's kind of the exact same way, but with, with shoes. So selling out the trunk of his car. Yeah. That's, you guys both have very similar stories. That's awesome, man. He's got a much larger bank account. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's true. That is very much true. Um, so, what? Uh, what? Where are you guys at right now? Like, are you in the process of redeveloping your app? Are you in the process of expanding to other cities? Like, what? Where? Where are we at right now? And then, where do you want to be in six months? Yeah, um, right now we're still developing the app. We're always making iterations and improving and building features that people want. I mean, everything that you see in the app came from our community. We don't build anything that our community doesn't want. Uh, and in six months from now, we got some really cool things coming. I can't really talk about 
Um, but our main focus is just going to be, you know, how can we build it up here in Central Texas? And we've got, there's other communities and we help them build up in their communities. We have several direct reinvestment programs that we do a revenue share with other, with other communities and, and um, help bring in more money into those communities so they can expand their farmers markets or local ag production facilities. So there's a number of things we've got going on there, um, but we're focused on the Austin market. That's awesome, man. So do you have anything you want to leave, uh, leave the people with? What I would want to say is, you know, if you're in Austin, check us out, you know, look at what we've got and look at your local producers. And if you're not in Austin, think about signing up and trying to get it started in your area. I mean, the whole thing about this is connecting with your neighbors and how you can create and access much higher quality produce from your neighbors while helping them out and building up the economics within your own community. For those that want to start their own business, just start. It doesn't take a lot of capital. What it'll take is a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of grit. Uh, and if you're going to start, really consider how uncomfortable you're comfortable getting, if that makes sense. Because you got to go all in. And I mean all in. You know, because it, the way I think about it is if I don't, then I know my competitors will. And I'm not going to let that happen. Boom, dude. Your boy, Sam. This was awesome. This is so cool. Honestly, one of the coolest entrepreneurial journeys I've ever heard of. And I and I hope we can do a follow-up interview in about two years when you're uh, in every single city in the country. Yeah, that's the plan. Two years from now, that's the plan. Or in, in quite a lot of them. Yeah. Okay, I, mean, I mean, yeah, probably not every single, but like most, most of the cities. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the major cities, yeah. Boom. All right. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it, man. No problem, Corey. I'd love to talk with you again. Absolutely. So first of all, you guys are all so amazing. We hit 10,000 downloads for the first season alone. I don't know if that's going to go up or go down for season two, but I'm just really excited. I got to meet the coolest people, got to travel around mostly the LA area and just meet people that have done some amazing things. I was at NFL Network interviewing the VP of the NFL. I went to the Hollywood Hills, was interviewing Garen Jones. I went to the other side of the Hollywood Hills. I was interviewing Ian Chen, got to see their home office. I mean, it was such a cool experience. I'm so thankful that you guys were a part of it. And I've got some, I'm not going to say better, but I've got some really awesome interviews coming at you for season two. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I guarantee I don't update this till the end of season two. So if you're watching the last episode of season two and I'm hyping you up for all the episodes of season two, sorry about that. Guarantee I'll forget. And uh, cool, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of this. Please leave five stars if you can in the in the podcast store. I don't think Google allows you to do that, but uh, leave a mental five stars if you want. And feel free and comment. Give me some feedback. I'm always looking to improve. And just thank you so much for being a part of the We Strive podcast.